Hi, I'm Olimide Adiyoye, and my wife, Emilio Moriboreme, and my lovely kids, Oluwa Ferami and Oluwa Femi Adiyoye. Here is my testimony. I came from a Christian family where the Bible is taught and shared with family prayers morning and evening. Being born again and um, leaders in their church, I wrote on my parents' um, Christian status to get baptized at about the age of 13. While I made the personal decision to follow Christ a few years after. Now it's time for true baptism. Um, when all things have passed away and everything is new, I believe in the power of resurrection. I believe Christ died for me and to give me hope and assurance. This is my testimony and this is my inspiration. Thank you. Hi, my name is Amy Longmoy Boreme. I've always believed Jesus Christ died for me on the cross of Calvary and in his resurrection. I was born and raised in a Christian family, but I've always procrastinated my I've always procrastinated my baptism, which is of great importance as identifying as a Christian. Today, I openly say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior, and He died for me on the cross of Calvary, and He rose after three days. Today, I obey the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm getting baptized, and um, against all the procrastination that has held me down for so many years, I die to all things today, and I believe everything about me has become new. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. This morning, it is my sincere pleasure to baptize Emmy and Olumid Adoye. <laughs> Baptism is a symbol of what's happened in our lives. We die to old things and now we have a new life in Christ. So as we get baptized, we identify ourselves as believers in Christ, followers of him. I'm so excited and I hope you are as well. Emmy. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, was buried and rose again over vic the, for a victory over sin and death, and now he is both your Savior and Lord? Yes, I do. Because of this profession of faith and the work of the Holy Spirit in Emmy's life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now, Olumide Adoye. Olumide, do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for the forgiveness of our sins, that he was buried and rose again over sin and death, and that now he is your Savior and Lord? Yes, I do. Because of this profession of faith and the work of the Spirit in Olamide's life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
The great thing about uh, the Sunday, one week after Resurrection Sunday, is this. Christ is still risen. Wow. Wow. And we've seen the power of his resurrection even this morning with those baptisms. That was a wonderful time. It was great to get to know both Emmy and Olamide. Let me, it's been a whirlwind of a morning for me. Let me pray as we focus on God's word here this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, many of us are here because we want to know more of you. You are glorious. You are good. You are love. And Lord, I pray that we would see more of your glory, your goodness, and love here this morning. The only way that happens is if we understand and learn something of your word. So I pray, God, that you would clarify my thoughts and my words. May the things that I say come from your heart, from Scripture, to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Happy. Everyone wants to be happy. You spend most of your time trying to get this, trying to be happy. That's, that's what we tend to do from day to day. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all want to be happy. Happy is good. It's good to be happy. But we've all recognized that if happy is the only thing we're going for in life, if happy is the only aim that we have, well, sometimes happy is going to let us down. Because happy is based on circumstances, right? Sometimes I go outside and it's a beautiful morning like this morning and I'm feeling pretty happy about that. Sometimes I go outside and it's raining or hailing or whatever it is and I'm not feeling so happy. Sometimes I'm watching the Toronto Raptors win a, a game in round two and I'm feeling pretty happy. Then there are other times when I'm watching game seven of the Toronto Maple Leafs and I'm not feeling so happy. Am I right? Happy. It comes, you get the illustration, right? It comes and it goes, but it's not a fickle thing either. Because sometimes we're happy when we're with family, when we're with friends, and when we're enjoying each other's company, but sometimes we're not so happy because we're lonely. And those people that were once part of our lives, maybe they aren't anymore. Happy comes, happy goes. And let me tell you something. Many people think that Christianity promises you happy. But it's not the case. We will still go through up times, we still go through down times, but you know what? Christianity, Christ, knowing him, promises you something actually much greater than happy. Christianity, Christ, offers us joy. Joy. And this joy, unlike happiness, isn't sourced in our circumstances, it is sourced in God. And God is always good, and God is always loving. So no matter what, we can have joy, even if we don't have happy. We're starting a new series called Discovering True Joy. We're going through the book of Philippians, and Philippians very much is talking about how we can have true joy. So why should we spend our time doing this? Well, here's one great reason. It's because the mission of this church has something to do with joy. How many people in here think they know the mission statement of Richview Baptist Church? Who thinks they know it? We got, we got a few. I, I didn't expect much different than that. Hey, we have a mission statement. It's joyfully leading people to a growing relationship with Christ. That's what you're all doing here. 
You, you, may, you may not have known that, but that's what you are all doing here. That's our mission as a church, to joyfully lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. I'm hoping that we rehearse that mission statement over the next few weeks so that at the end of it, when I ask, hey, what's our mission, everyone's hand goes up in the air and they know it. Joyfully leading people to a growing relationship with Christ. And our key word for this series is this, joyfully, joy. Because we don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it out of some moral duty. We do it because we have a joy that comes from Jesus Christ. Discovering true joy. I'm looking forward to this. Today's sermon is called, and it's going to show up, Praying with Joy. Praying with Joy. Why is it called this? Well, the first part of the book of Philippians is a prayer. It's a joyful prayer. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going from verse 1 to 11. There are pew Bibles in, uh, in the seats in front of you or behind you. You can look up on the screen. The words will be there. If you have your own Bible or your own app, I encourage you to open up. Because ultimately, what I have to say about this issue doesn't really matter. It has to come from Scripture. You can completely ignore me if it doesn't come from Scripture. So please, this is important. Make sure that it's from the Word. I'm going to read these introductory verses, and I'm just going to give you some background information on this text, on the entire book of Philippians, so that when you read it, you'll be equipped to understand what it means. Here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to, uh, 1 to 2 here. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. A few things that I want to point out before we get into the prayer. Here's the first one. Who are Paul and Timothy? Who are these people? Well, Timothy is the understudy of Paul. He's, he's following Paul and learning what it means to lead churches and things like that. He's a bit of a disciple of Paul. And Paul is an apostle. Well, what's an apostle? An apostle is someone who has been uh, chosen by Christ to preach the gospel to all nations. And apostles are the ones who are the inspirations for Scripture. They are led by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. That's who Paul is. And at this time in Paul's journey, he is in chains. He is in jail. Why is he in jail? Because at his time, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news about Christ would land you in jail. The Roman authorities did not want these upstart Christians starting revolutions. And so if you were preaching the good news about Jesus, you were a threat. And Paul, he listens to God, he doesn't listen to man, so he continues preaching the good news, and he gets beaten, and he gets flogged in some cases, and in this case, he winds up in jail. That's Paul and Timothy. He, and Paul is the one who is writing this letter. Now, the next thing I want to point out here is that this letter is to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's why this book is called Philippians, because it is for the people of Philippi. The book of Philippians is really a letter, a letter that Paul writes to this church, this church Philippi. And I want to point out something really interesting here. It says that Paul is writing to all God's holy people. That phrase, holy people, would actually be usually translated saints. But this translation of the Bible chose not to use that word and use holy people instead. Do you want to know why? Likely because the word saints conjures up in your mind visions of people uh, drawn in stained glass windows. People who are much holier than you, right? You, you don't, even if you're a believer in here, you don't consider yourself a, 
am I a saint? I don't think I'm a saint. I'm not one of those very, very holy religious people. I don't think I qualify for that. But let me share you uh, with something with you. To all God's holy people, all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. He's not just referring to the leaders of the church. He's not just referring to the elders and deacons and other leaders. No, he's referring to the entire church. All of the believers are saints. Question for you. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Because typically we refer to ourselves as sinners first and foremost. But Paul here in this letter refers to us first and foremost as saints. Wow. How can we call ourselves saints? Don't we feel unqualified for that? If we're believers in Christ, don't we feel a little unqualified? Well, Christ did this incredible thing on your behalf. He went to the cross. And when he died on that cross, we got his righteousness through faith. And he took our sin. So positionally, before God, we are saints. Cleansed of sin. And as we continue to follow after Christ and as we continue to go after what he wants for our lives, our behavior and our conduct becomes more saint-like. Isn't that interesting? Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we still struggle with sin. But if you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. That's an incredible, incredible truth. And I just want to point out one more thing in this introductory passage. This letter is to the overseers and deacons. Why is that important? Well, the church, this church, isn't just a gathering of believers. Did you know that? A church is not simply a gathering of believers. A church is a gathering of believers underneath a godly structure, underneath godly authority. This letter is for the, the people together with the overseers and deacons. And all I mean to say by that is you can't do church solo. Can't do it solo. You, you could go online. You could enjoy great sermons online. Man, are there some, ever some great podcasts that you can listen to of the greatest even evangelical speakers in the world? You could do that and skip church and not be under an authority structure. But that wouldn't be church. Because church is the local body is being underneath an authority, elders and deacons. You can't do church solo. So be part of this community. Okay. Those introductory remarks aside, let's actually get into the prayer. And this prayer is actually going to answer this question for us. How can I pray with joy? How can I pray with joy? Because you know what? Many times, if, if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, the reason why you uh, pray I, for some of us is it's kind of a last-ditch attempt to kind of regain control, right? I mean... We're, we're, we think we've got everything under control. We think we're going the right way. We think we're doing the right thing. And then this goes wrong. And then this goes wrong. And this goes wrong. And all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, you're, you're on a deserted island and you have nothing else that you can do, right? And so at a last-ditch attempt, we pray. It's kind of out of desperation and not out of joy. But you know what? Even believers, when we pray, sometimes it can be really, really somber and really, really sad. And that's not a bad thing. Okay, because life is tough, right? Things can go wrong, and we live in a broken world that is filled with sin, and sometimes, even oftentimes, our, our prayers are filled with sadness. But even despite that, even despite those things, we can still pray with joy. 
because we have so much to be joyful about in knowing our God. So we are going to answer the question, why can we pray with joy? And here's the first incredible thing. I, I, I love this because we will be made complete. Let me show you what that means. This is what it says in verse 3. We're going to verse 6. This is Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This guy's in chains. He's in prison. He's still praying with joy. Why is he doing that? Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're going to get to that partnership in a little bit. I'm not skipping over that. We're going to get to that. But then he says this, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is remarkably good news. If God has begun a good work in you, God will complete that good work all the way when he returns, when Christ returns at the end of all things. This is a remarkable truth, right? Because Christians, you know, we're struggling with sin, aren't we? We're str Nothing is more miserable than a Christian struggling with sin. Come on, I, I'm not the only one, right? We're, we're struggling, you know? And often we even pray and we think, God, I've gone back to this sin. I keep going back to this sin. I want to follow you. I repent of those things. But I, I keep struggling and I keep failing. And sometimes we even get to the point where we think, am I even saved to begin with? I mean, if I can't get past this one thing, am I really saved? You get to that point. We've got to remember a few things. One is God has begun a good work in you. Has he begun a good work in you? How, how can I know? How can I tell? Here's a good way to find out if God has begun a good work in you. If you woke up this morning and you woke up believing that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, if you woke up believing that, God has begun a good work in you. Because your natural self does not believe that. No way. We are filled with sin. We are in rebellion against God. There's no way we come to that conclusion unless, unless, unless God has begun a good work in you and has gifted you faith. That, that's remarkable. You know it's a miracle when you wake up in the morning. It is a miracle if you believe in Christ. That is a miracle. And that is evidence that God has begun a good work in you. If you're, if you're not a believer, receive this gift. Receive this gift of faith. He offers it to you even now. God offers this to you even now. And should you come to believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, praise God, because he gave you that gift. God has begun a good work in you. But then, right, we, he's begun a work in us, but the work isn't completed. And so we're, we're in the middle of this fight, this fight between, you know, our natural selves that want sin, want the things of this world, and the new self informed by Christ, which wants him, which wants God, which wants to follow after him. And we're in this fight, we're, we're in this tug of war, where we kind of flop back and forth at times, and we can struggle, and we can struggle. Two things I want to encourage you with if you're one of those people. One is... If you're a believer, we're all one of those people. All of us 
are struggling with sin. All of us. Because we're not yet complete. But here's the wonderful, marvelous thing. As you pray, and you pray, God, I want to repent of my sin and turn and follow you. As you pray that, you can also follow this up with this joyful prayer. But I know in the end that I will win this fight because you are victorious. I'm struggling now. I'm in this fight now. But I know that in the future, you will return and all I will want is you. I'll no longer want the sin that leads to death. I'll only want Christ. Wow, the fight will be won. And so we can pray with joy. That's the first reason. The first reason. Paul continues. Here's the next one. The reason why we can pray with joy is this. Because of our partnership. This partnership in the gospel between believers. We can pray with joy because we have this partnership. Verse uh, 4, it says this. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Again, this is another one of those words that usually it's translated the word fellowship. And again, I think the reason why they chose the word partnership instead of fellowship is because when I think of the word fellowship, you know what I think of? I don't know about you. But when I think of the word fellowship in a church context, because I've, you know, I've been raised in a church and I kind of know part of the lingo. When I think of the word fellowship, I think of nice potlucks, nice social times, right? Tea and coffee and maybe some donuts and some Timbits. And we have a nice time of fellowship. And we just have a good time with one another. But that's not what Paul is intending to communicate here. If we're going to use the word fellowship, we have to, use, we have, to have in our minds, you know, the, uh, many of you have probably seen these movies or read these books. The Lord of the Rings, the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And there's nine people who go from Rivendell, and they are a fellowship. They're not actually all people. Four of them are hobbits. One of them's a wizard. One of them's a, a dwarf. One of them's an elf. And two of them are men, okay? <laughs> I might be a bit of a dork. All right, we've got past this. All right. And these nine are a fellowship. Why? Because they are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of a common purpose. That's the fellowship. That's the partnership Paul is talking about. He is arm in arm with these believers in Philippi, willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that the goal of following Christ and glorifying God is completed. That is fellowship. Potlucks are good. They're a great time. We need to get to know each other. That's part of fellowship. But ultimately, fellowship is locking arm in arm, willing to put down whatever it is that we have in our lives for the sake of a common purpose, for the cause of Christ. If you are a believer and you don't have this fellowship with other believers, this works in two directions. Either we are alongside other people who are, you know, willing to lay down their life for Christ and we're, we're inspired and motivated, motivated by them. But other times we can surround ourselves with people who are not motivated by Christ and they can drag us down. Let's read the next little passage here. It starts in verse 7. It says this. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he says, hey, whether I am in chains, okay, which is his present circumstance, right? He's in chains. Or whether he's free on the sidewalks, being able to preach the gospel freely, no matter what the occasion, he can pray with joy. Why? Because he shares in God's grace with the other believers. That's why he can pray with joy, because he knows just as he has put his life on the line for the gospel, so are the other believers. They are sharers in God's grace. And this is a powerful thing. Just a a few days ago, Friday night, we had this thing called uh, Secret Church, and about 23 or so of us got together, and it was a, uh, I think it was six hour long teaching on prayer. And so we're praying together. And then at a certain break, we uh, got to pray for the believers in Somalia. And we heard about the story of these people in Somalia. And for many of the believers there, if they were believers and they declared themselves Christians, if they were baptized, like what you saw this morning, that would result in all sorts of persecution up to and including death. And we are praying for them. And, you know, part of my mind is thinking as we're praying for them, boy, I hope they pray for us. Because they are willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of Christ. And just knowing that, just knowing that in Somalia, in this place where they don't have all the, you know, worship technology that we have and the nice screens and all of the conveniences that we have, they are willing to put their life on the line for the sake of Christ. And that inspires us. Because we're locking arm in arm for the sake of the gospel, even across borders. And that's what we need in our lives as well. We need people who are close by who are living out the gospel. I'm sure many of us, if, if you used to be a believer and you're, you, know, you kind of got out of the habit of going to church and you kinda, you know, you're not sure about faith anymore, I challenge you, who was it that was in your life at that time when you were a believer? Were they encouraging your faith? Were they lifting you up instead of pushing you down in the faith? We all need that. Because this road goes both ways, right? If we are with other believers locking arm in arm, we're encouraged and we can grow. But if we're arm in arm with people who have different aims, we're going to be pulled in different directions. And our faith can get discouraged. We need other believers. And we can pray with joy knowing that other believers are going after the same cause that we are. So how can we do this practically? How can you do this even now? Here's a few suggestions for you. Uh, some of these may work for you, others may not, but here's a few suggestions. One way uh, to be part of a body of fellowshippers is to be part of Richview Baptist Church in membership. Write down your name on the dotted line. Commit yourself to this body. Say, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. That's what we're doing when, we're saying, uh, when we join in membership. I want to be part of the fruitfulness of this church. I want to be part of this community. I'm in, and I want to serve the gospel here. That's one option. Here's another one. Be part of a community group. We have these uh, smaller groups, smaller assemblies of believers who meet uh, some every week, some once every two weeks, and they get together, and they learn scripture together, they encourage one another, they pray for one another. They are doing fellowship, locking arms, and encouraging each other in the faith. So be part of that. But here's, here's another wonderful way. Serve. We need gospel people in this church. We need believers in this church who are willing to sacrifice their time, their talents, and their treasure 
in order to make sure that the ministries here happen. We, we need gospel people who are doing youth ministry and gospel people who are doing children's ministry and gospel people who are doing uh, the worship ministry and greeting and, 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 and all of these different kinds of, kinds of things. We need to lock arms and be encouraged by each other's faith. And if you do this, if you do this, God will bless you. God will help you, and God will encourage your faith. That's why we can pray with joy, because we are locking arm in arm with other believers, and we are encouraged by their faith. Here's the third reason that we're going to look at here in the last bit of this passage. Why can we pray with joy? And, and really, this encapsulates all of the other things. In fact, this may be, this is, in fact, the main reason why we can pray with joy, because of God's grace. Here we go, verse 9. There's a lot here, so follow me. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. This is what Paul wants for his church, for the Philippians. This is also what God wants for our church. So let's pay attention. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, that's a good sentence. But that's a run-on sentence, okay? So we, we need to break this down into chunks. Here we go. Verse 9. This is the prayer. That your love may abound more and more. This is what Paul wants for his church, and this is what he wants for our church as well. He wants our love to abound more and more. Our love is at some level, but he wants it to abound more and more. Love is really two directions. We've got two directions for love. One is vertical. We have a love for God. We are meant to love God with, our, uh, with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. We love God, and it's a vertical thing, and that needs to abound more and more. But also, there's a horizontal love for one another, for our neighbors. He wants that to abound more and more. But what exactly is love? What is that? And, you know, we could have a whole sermon about that, obviously, or a series about that. But ultimately, love is the giving of yourself for someone else. That's ultimately what it is. When Jesus came to this earth, God gave us his son. That's how he loved us. For God so loved the world, he loved us in this way, that he gave his only son. And if you aren't giving yourself to your spouse, you aren't loving your spouse. Your affections for your spouse might go up and down, you know, whatever, whether you're watching a Raptors or a, or a Toronto Maple Leafs game, okay? Your affections might go up and down, but your love never should because you can always give yourself to your spouse. And we need to be people who give ourselves not only vertically to God, but also horizontally to one another. Okay, that's only the first bit of the uh, sentence, so here we go. That your love may abound more and more. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen because we increase in knowledge and depth of insight. So the way that we're going to abound more and more in love, both vertically and horizontally, is that we are, going to grow in, uh, we are going to grow in knowledge and depth of insight. Well, what does that mean? That means we get into this. That means we get into this word. That means we understand and learn what it looks like to give myself to God and give myself to others. We grow in depth of insight. We grow in knowledge, understanding who God is and what he wants for us. So our love will abound more and more as we grow in, in knowledge and depth of insight, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best, 
all right? Because, hey, there's a lot of things you could do. There are a lot of good things you can do. But apparently, according to this passage, there is also a best thing that you can do. A best thing. And as we grow in knowledge and depth of insight in this word, we will be able to discern not just a good thing amongst good options, but actually the best thing. And that's what we're aiming for. The best thing. Let's keep going. So that you may be able to discern what is best, verse 10, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So, so here we go. Let's start at the start. Our love will abound more and more as we grow in knowledge and depth of insight. All right, what is the next thing? Uh, so that you may be able to discern what is best, so that as we are doing what is best, we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, so that we will become more holy and we will become more glorifying to our God and Heavenly Father as we grow. I'm sure at this point you are thinking that all sounds really, really exhausting. <laughs> right? Okay, okay, let me get this straight. I gotta make a checklist, right? I gotta abound more and more in love. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, then I'll be a good Christian. No, 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 no. No, no, no. What's it say next? Verse 11. All of this is because we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of putting more effort in. It's not a matter of making a checklist. No, it's a matter of giving our lives to Christ and yielding to the Holy Spirit who indwells us so that we desire more and more and have the power more and more to love God and love others. It's all out of God's grace. It's all a gift of God that he fills us with this desire, that he fills us with this power so that we can do all these things. You can put more and more effort into it without yielding to the Holy Spirit and it will do you no good, no good. But as we yield to Christ and give our lives more and more to him, he gives us the power to be able to do all of these things. You won't need a checklist. You'll just need to follow God in his spirit. Wow. It's all grace. And in fact, all of the things that I've listed here this morning are all God's grace. All God's, here's another word for grace, or phrase, all God's undeserved favor towards us. All of it is God's grace. We can pray with joy. What was the first reason? Because of uh, that Christ will make us complete. He will make us complete. That is all God's grace. That's all a gift from God. We can pray with joy because we know other, people's in the, other people in the world are with us arm in arm as we seek after God and follow Christ. That's God's grace. And it is God's grace that he empowers us through his Holy Spirit so that we can love each other more and more and do that which God has called us to do. But here's the very last phrase. Here's the very last phrase. This is all to the glory. Sorry, previous slide. This is all to the glory and praise of God. Here's a remarkable truth. And this has changed much of the way that I read the scripture in general. A remarkable truth is this. What is most glorifying to God is actually what is best for me. The gifts that God gives as we receive them, and they are the best we could do for ourselves, as we receive those things, that is glorifying to God. See, it's not one or another. 
It's not just one, it's not just the other. Sometimes we think we've got to choose. Okay, what do I do? Do I do what I think is best for myself or do I do what God wants me to do? And we think, oh, I've got to make this choice. But that's not the case because God wants what is best for us. And as we receive what is best for us from God, he is glorified. That's an incredible, incredible truth that God gifts us and he is glorified in giving us those gifts. As we receive God's grace, he is glorified. Incredible. And I want to leave you with this final thought. True joy, whether in prayer, whether in your day-to-day, -day, no matter if you're going through a high time in your life, no matter if you're going through a low time in your life, whether you have happy or you don't have happy, true joy is in knowing God's grace. True joy is in knowing God's grace. Because joy isn't sourced in our circumstances. Joy is sourced in God. And God is always filled with grace. That's what it says in verse 2. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you experienced God's grace? Do you know true joy? Because if you're hoping for that one day when finally you're going to be happy day in, day out, I'm telling you, that day is not coming. But you can have joy day in, day out, starting today, receiving God's gifts of grace. And it all starts with believing in Christ. That Christ came to this earth. That he died for our sins. And that he was buried and he rose again, conquering both sin and death. And as we seek after Christ, and as we follow after Christ, he fills our lives with more and more of his grace, and we experience more and more joy. And as we have that joy, we will be able to joyfully lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. That's what we're all about. I'm going to ask the band if they'd come forward as we were about to close this series. We've talked about a lot this morning, a lot of ways that you can be involved. There's actually an insert in your bulletin that you can, you can check some things off in that bulletin. It's actually a flap on there. And if you want to be part of a community group, if you want to be baptized, if you want to learn more, please fill that out. Hand it in to the person at the info center or simply talk to, either, uh, to one of the staff here at this church. May you be filled with God's grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are filled with grace and truth. And Lord, it is such an incredible truth that as we seek you more and receive your gifts more, you are glorified and we are filled with joy. What could be, what could be better? Lord, I'm thankful for those believers who are locked arm in arm with us this morning, who encourage us in our faith. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that this struggle that we have with sin will one day be over and we will be made complete and our true joy will be found in knowing you thank you christ for this work in jesus name amen